And all of God's people said, glory to God. Thank you, team. If you have read my biography, you would know that I have looked to a raw, naked fear in the eye. And that was inches away from death. Not just once. Traveling the globe for so many years, <clears throat> I have seen raw fear of death in the eyes of people in the Middle East, in Asia, and elsewhere. But perhaps I have not seen such a concentration of fear in large number of people in their eyes as I saw during COVID-19 crisis. Even though some people were wearing two or three masks and a visor, <laughs> yet the fear of death in their eyes was haunting and was communicating volumes to me. And this, by the way, was right across the board. In the height of that pandemic, I'll never forget an incident that took place when I was in the elevator. I was wearing a mask with those uh, directions of the buildings. So I wore the mask always. And then the elevator stopped, and the regulation says that you can invite the person to come in, and if they come in, that's fine. If they say no, that's fine too, but just the polite thing to do. So. The elevator stopped, and, and I, I was inviting this person with three masks and a visor. I said, you're welcome to come in. And literally, he was violent. I thought he was going to hit me and screamed at me. I said, I am so sorry. Please forgive me. And moved on. Now, beloved, let me tell you something. You and I know that the fear of death is universal. Let's not kid each other, okay? It's universal. And maybe it's because it's sort of built in us uh, to, for, for the need of survival. I don't know. Yet, even non-believers glibly would say the two most certain things in life are taxes and death. But somehow they don't fear taxes as much as they fear death. Uh, the fear of death is so overwhelming. And yet, for those of us who know and love Jesus, we just sang our hearts out. <laughs> um, such fear is totally unwarranted. I know and I'm aware of the fact that some people call me unrealistic. I know that. People say, Michael, he just, he's, he's from another planet. And uh, I think I agree with you. But why? Because we have the promises of God in the Word of God about our eternal future. We have the assurance of God himself that absence from the body is present with the Lord. And today we're going to hear from the lips of Jesus himself, from the lips of Jesus himself, an answer to the question, what happens a moment after we die? What happens to the believer and the non-believers? What happens? Our gracious Lord, who is the creator, the Bible said, for whom and through whom all things were created. 
He so graciously pulls the curtain out, and He shows us what takes place on the other side of eternity. He shows us exactly what happened to us moments after we close our eyes in death. And for non-believers, of course, we know death is an enemy. Death is an enigma. Death is a frightening thing. Death is unexplainable to them. And they try to cope with death by all sorts of ways and means. And these ways and means, beloved, listen to me, are exploited by Satan himself in order to lead them more into eternal destruction. For example, there are some claim that they can contact the dead. I've seen some of those. Uh, and they always, no matter who they contacted, they're in a happy place. Really? <laughs> Others claim that they have died and went to the other side and came back to talk about it and sold, had a best-selling books. Thankfully, thankfully, some of them were honest enough to admit later that it was a hoax. Then we have, of course, the arch deceiver in Hollywood. In the writing of the scripts, whether it be television or, or, or movies, that tells everybody when they die, they go to a happy place. All these are efforts on the part of the non-believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to cope with the fear of death. The Greek philosopher Aristotle, who really speaks volumes particularly to the secular mind of today, he said, death should be feared the most, <laughs> for it appears to be the end of everything. Even one of Hollywood prophets, now the young people may not know that name, he's still around, he's still making movies, but he's one of their prophets by the name of Woody Allen. <laughs> the older generation know who I'm talking about. Now you can tell the younger generation afterward who he is. Actually, I, through the years, I collected some of the sayings of Woody Allen because he really, really represents the kind of thinking, secular thinking that we have in our culture. One time he said, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it comes. <laughs> but for those who have placed their whole trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can say with the Apostle Paul, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? I am so grateful to the Lord Jesus, who not only totally, completely conquered death and the grave, but He gave us victory over death and the grave. Turn with me, please, to Luke. Amen. Give Him glory. Give Him glory. In Luke chapter 16, beginning at verse 19, our Lord Jesus literally opens a window on what happens to everyone after they die. Jesus graciously shows us exactly what happens after death for the believer and for the non-believer. And for those of you who may be visiting with us today, we have been going through a long series of messages from the Gospel of Luke entitled Enduring Wisdom from the Lips of Jesus. Can't get better than that. <laughs> you can't get higher than that. And so, if you don't have your own Bible with you, grab a, a pew Bible. It's page 1626. And we're going to 
stand up as we have been doing throughout the series of messages, and I will read the first verse, that's verse 19, and then you're going to pick it up from there. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple. By the way, while I'm reading this, I want you to know, just mark this, rich, but there, the, I'm going to explain that because it's really, really, it's not about wealth. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Now you can go. Holy Spirit, unless you open our spiritual eyes, unless you do that, this is all unintelligible story. But when you, Holy Spirit, open our spiritual eyes, we will see amazing truth from your Word. We will see people come in repentance and in faith, and we're going to see believers be encouraged and lifted up above all that the miserable circumstances they might be facing. We thank you that you hear our prayer, Heavenly Father, and you answer them in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated, please. There are several things I want to tell you before I delve into this text. The first thing you notice is that place where the believers go with unspeakable joy, and the place where the non-believers go, there is unspeakable agony. And it is impossible to transfer from one place to the other, regardless of the length of time they spend there, regardless of the intensity of the pain and suffering, regardless of the social status of somebody like that so-called rich man has been in this life. The only possible time 
for being transforming or transformed our eternity from hell to heaven is in this life. After that, it is too late. There is such thing as too late. It's not too late as long as you're breathing, but there is a time will come when it is too late. I was thinking about this story about how one goes to one region of Hades and one goes to the other, and I thought of a, a tombstone that was found in one of the famous New England cemeteries. And on that tombstone, obviously the person decided to put those words. His, here are the words. Pause, stranger, when you pass me by. As you are now, so was I. As I am now, so will you be. So prepare for death and follow me. Well, some scallywag obviously was walking by this thing and saw it, and finally he decided to scratch some words underneath that. And the words go like this. To follow you, I am not content until I know which way you went. <laughs> Wise words. <laughs> Look with me, please, at the words of our Lord Jesus. There's several very important things that I believe with all my heart the Lord would teach every one of us, whether you are a young person, old person, it doesn't matter. It is something, it is a foundational stone in which you can build your life and the rest of your life. But the first thing I want to tell you is that there are some people who mistakenly think that this man ended up in that region of Hades where there is suffering is because he was rich. It could not be further from the truth. You see, the man did not end up there because he was rich, because the, the whole Bible from cover to cover never condemns riches. Uh, in fact, the only ones who do are the communists and the socialists. The Bible does not Abraham, the man of faith, the father of faith, was exceedingly wealthy. Joseph of Arimathea, whose brand-new tomb that Jesus put, buried Jesus for, just for the weekend. Um, <laughs> he was exceedingly wealthy man. And I can go on and on and on, but uh, you get the point. But the, what took this man to this miserable region of Hades, and I'm going to explain to you the difference, is because of his greed. And it's so clearly in, 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 in Greek, but also even when you, if you read it in Semitic languages, it, it was his selfishness. It was his self-centeredness. It was his uh, self-worship. It was for caring only for himself and nobody else. Look at the text with me. Story of two people who ended up in two different eternal destinations. One lived for self, and the other one lived for God. One worshiped self, the other one worshiped God. Remember, Jesus is telling this story before his own death and resurrection because I'm going to explain to you what had taken place since then. He was telling this story, the true story, actual event, before his death and resurrection. He hadn't gone to the cross yet. Why am I saying this? Because in the Old Testament, the Old Testament believers... Was Monty referring to as the Old Testament saints 
who looked forward by faith to the coming of their Messiah. Uh, started with Abraham 2,000 years before Christ. And Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. You see, everyone after Abraham, uh, and you see it throughout the prophets in Jeremiah and Ezekiel and, 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 and Isaiah particularly, uh, they looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. They anticipated the coming of the Messiah, and they saw it through the eyes of faith. And so there were two regions of Hades, two regions. They were separated, but they could communicate with each other. One region was called the bosom of Abraham. It's really a Hebrew word of kind of saying fellowship, intimacy with Abraham. They were close to Abraham. Why? Because Abraham is the first to see by faith the coming of the Messiah, the Redeemer of the world, the Redeemer of Israel. The other region of Hades was a place of torment and suffering. Now, don't miss this. Please don't miss this. Both men were fully conscious after death. The non-believer was conscious of his own region in, of Hades, where there is unbelievable, incredible, unbearable suffering. He had memories. He was able to speak. He was experiencing pain. Lazarus also had memories. He was able to speak, but he was experiencing joy in the so-called bosom of Abraham. Look at verse 24. This self-centered, self-worshipping man said, Father Abraham, he could call him Father Abraham because obviously he's Jewish. You see, all Jews looked to Abraham as a father, but not all Jews were saved. Not any more than all the so-called Christians are saved. Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony. Please forgive me, I may not be able to put it together today because I grieve over the fact that hell is a real place, and real people going there, and it tears me up. Beloved, the Bible makes it very clear from 1 Corinthians 15, 54, 2 Corinthians 5, 2, and 3, is that for the believers, as soon as I go to heaven, the moment they close their eyes in death, they are closed in a glorified body the moment they reach heaven. Our souls are not going to be floating around in heaven. Did you get that? Until the return of Christ. I know some people teach that stuff, but I'm going to prove to you from the Word of God that is absolutely not true. When John the Revelator was privileged to be taken into heaven, he did not see souls floating around. He saw real people, real people in glorified bodies. As for Lazarus, he was in that blessed place where all of the Old Testament saints were at the bosom of Abraham or the company of Abraham. 
all those who have shared the faith of Abraham in anticipating the coming of Jesus before Jesus came. They've been with Abraham. That's why Jesus said they're going to come from the east and the west, and they're going to be coming from Africa, from Asia, from South America, from North America. They're going to come from all over the world, and they're going to be with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But those who are the physical descendant of Jacob and Abraham who have rejected the faith of Abraham, they're going to make it. Remind me a story of a sweet old lady who was ready to go to heaven. And she was dying, and she was rejoicing, and she was happy. She was excited. She knew she was going to heaven. The pastor came to visit her. And she said, oh, pastor, I can't wait to get to the bosom of Moses. And he said, no, dear, it's the bosom of Abraham. She said, pastor, at my age, I don't care whose bosom it is. (laughs) I love that sense of humor all the way, all the way to the end. Please listen to me. After the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the apostle Peter in his epistles tells us that Jesus went to Hades. He went to Hades, and there he declared his lordship. He declared his victory over death to those Old Testament saints who were in that region of Hades who were waiting and anticipating patiently. He came and declared His Lordship. He came and declared His resurrection to all of these Old Testament saints, and He took them from that region of Hades and opened paradise for them. Amen. And ever since then, every new Testament saint, every person who died, died in Christ, have been with them in paradise. From that time on, second thing I want to tell you is this. Don't want you to miss this. Both destination are irrevocably fixed. They're irrevocably fixed. Verse 26, Abraham said, we have a great chasm between us, and it's been fixed. We can't cross to you, and you can't cross to us. Now, there are some people, beloved, who have convinced themselves is when they think with their emotions and their feelings instead of the facts. As somebody said, facts are stubborn things. But they don't want to think with facts. They don't want to be bothered. They don't want to be confused with the facts. So they they convince themselves that somehow if they end up in the place of torment, God is going to feel sorry for them, and He's going to take them to the other side. None of that is here. Others think that they're so good. They're so good without God. They're so good without Jesus. Even they rejected Jesus, but they're so good that God obligates Himself to put them in heaven. Listen to me. This is not easy for me to tell you, but it's a fact. I have people who have left this church. And I'm thankful they came to see me and tell me about it. They left this church because they cannot accept this biblical teaching. One said to me, I just can't, I cannot accept that 
the wonderful uncle, Uncle Snookums, let's call him just a name, even though he rejected Christ, I cannot accept that he's not in heaven. How can Michael say that Uncle Snookums is not in heaven? And I pleaded with him. First of all, I've never said anything of a sort. I did not know Uncle Snookums. <laughs> How can I even make that judgment? But that's not all. I am not the one who makes those decisions. They give me too much credit, I guess. One of the saddest days I remember so clearly, even though it was many years ago, well, this person said, uh, I'm going to find me a church that can tell me that Uncle Snookums is in heaven. Best of luck. I'm going to move on. It's too painful for me. The greatest news of all, beloved friends, the greatest news of all in this story is the unspeakable joy that awaits the believers immediately as soon as they die. Please listen to me carefully. There is no waiting place. There is no waiting place. There is no purgatory. It's not anywhere in the Scripture. There is no soul sleep. The second you close your eyes in death, if you are in Christ, you are immediately looking at Jesus' face. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus said to the repentant sinner on the cross next to him. He didn't say, you know, in the by and by, when your soul go to sleep and then wake up. Uh, no, no, he said, today. Today you're going to be with me in paradise. <laughs> and the reason the Bible calls the believer's death sleep, it's really more of a Semitic way of expression, because like deep sleep, uh, it's restorative. It's restorative. Uh, like sleep, it is temporary because we close our eyes here, we open them up in heaven. Uh, sleep is saying goodbye to the physical pain we're experiencing in this life. Please hear me right. I'm going to hammer at this point. I'm going to hammer it at it because I know some of you have come from traditions and from churches that taught soul sleep, that the soul goes to sleep until the resurrection day. And all of that built on one thing from, second, from uh, Thessalonians, where Paul said the, the dead will rise first. But they don't understand that in the next breath, Paul said they're going to come with Jesus in the clouds. <laughs> I mean, to us, they're resurrected. But they're not going to go you know, in the grounds, they're gonna, in, in the cemetery, he's going to, you know, shake up, and they're going to come out of that. No, 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 no. They've already gone to heaven. I want to show you from the Scripture so you don't say what Michael said, okay? Because <laughs> I don't know. Listen, I, I know my own limitations, so I confess that. How many of you remember the story of the transfiguration? It doesn't matter because I, I just need to explain it if you didn't. <laughs> Jesus takes three of his disciples, and they go up probably Mount Hermon, the highest mountain out in uh, northern Israel, and, and there... Moses and Elijah, representing the law and the prophets, 
Because in 1616, Luke 1616, Jesus said, the law and the prophet were until John. From then on, the kingdom of God is proclaimed. And so Moses and Elijah, they're there. I mean, dear old Peter, excuse the expression, was nearly wetting himself. He, I would too. I mean, he was so excited to see Moses and Elijah with Jesus, and there is a cloud that's covering them. And he said, well, let's stay here. We don't want to go back to the valley. Let's make tents. Let's, let's, let's permanently stay here. I mean, he was so excited. He did not see two souls floating. No. He saw Moses and Elijah in glorified bodies. You know, there's a little bit of Peter in all of us, but I know there's a whole lot of Peter in me. <laughs> Peter's wonderful. He, the foot and mouth disease. But I tell you, that's okay. If God forgave him, he forgives me. When Stephen, the very first Christian martyr in the book of Acts chapter 8, when he died, was, they're stoning him, and they're stoning him, and, and finally he's about to die. What did he say? Oh, now I'm going to get to my soul, so my soul's going to sleep now. No! He saw Jesus standing up to receive him. And that's exactly why the Apostle Paul could say, Philippians 1.23, I desire to depart and be with Christ which by far is much better. Paul didn't say, oh, I long to die so I can get my soul asleep. He longed for death because he knew that it means instant trans transliteration, instant and immediate presence in the presence of Christ. While Paul was torn I honestly, God is my witness. I understand that feeling now. He was torn between wanting to go with, be with Christ or stay and serve him here some more and take some more people to heaven. He made it very clear that to be glorified, to be in that glorified body in heaven, hands down, is much better. You see, to Paul, far from being terrified of death, far from being frightened of death, he was looking forward to it because it meant presence with Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.8, Paul spells it out when he said, absence from the body, immediate presence with the Lord. In Revelation 14.13, John said, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. From now on, they will rest from their labor, and their deeds follow them. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul describes this body in which houses our soul, because this body's not you. It's just a house. It's a, it, it's a, a housing uh, operation where the soul lives. What's inside of you, that's who you are. And Paul describes this body, this flesh and blood, in which our soul dwells, as a tent. Tent. Now, what happens to a tent? 
Now listen, I'll, be, I'll come clean with you. I cannot answer that question from experience. I don't know what happens to a tent. Only what I know from others who have told me. Because I can tell you this. God did not make this body for camping. I did it once in 1971. I remind my wife of that. 1971. I have never done it again. About the nearest to camping I want to be is the Holiday Inn. <laughs> but they tell me that a tent deteriorates, a tent sags, a, a tent gets tattered, and eventually the tent collapses. Tents always remind us of the temporary nature of this earthly body, of this, of this housing place in which our soul is. We are on a pilgrimage, my beloved friends. We are traveling. We have a traveling plan, and we are going home to be with Jesus. And that's why Jesus said, in my Father's house, there are many mansions. Now, God bless, some people think that they're going to get 20,000 square feet of a palace. Yeah. Fifteen bedrooms. What do you do with all that? <laughs> it's not talking about physical mansion. This is a reference to the glorified body that God has prepared for the soul of every believer in Jesus. This is, this is, this is the mansion is that glorified body that will be like Jesus' body after the resurrection. In the contrast between the tent and the mansion, hands down, I want the mansion. You see, the earthly body is a tent compared to the glorified body, which is like a mansion. And I can't wait. And there's a third thing I want to share with you. That Jesus wanted those who know him and love him to know about eternity. And that is self-awareness. Self-awareness. Let me repeat that. Self-awareness. This self-centered, self-worshipping man, a nameless man, he was fully aware that he deserved to be where he ended up, that he got what he deserved in that place of torment. He never complained. He never said, well, this is unfair. Uh, this is unjust. This is a raw deal. How can a loving God do that to me? No, 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 no. You do that here. People do that all the time here. But when they get their heightened awareness they're not going to do this. They're not going to say that. They're going to know they got themselves into that place with but them little selves. He knew that he got what he deserved, and he ended up where he deserved. He had a heightened awareness of his sin and rebellion against God. He had a heightened awareness that he lived this life for self, totally ignoring God and the needs of others. Who knows, he probably was one of those people who mocked the godly 
probably one of those people who fought godly and the Bible believing, Jesus believing, children. He probably attacked godly people and called them all kinds of names. He probably one of those people who called them prejudiced and bigoted and, and unloving and narrow-minded. By the way, I love it when people call me narrow-minded because it's the absolute truth. I am guilty as charged. Jesus said, only through the narrow way. I'm happy to be narrow-minded. And that is why he knew exactly that he belonged to that place of torment. But the one thing that always, always gets to me here, every time I read the passage in the Scripture, every time I read it, and it's, it's never stopped for, for many years, every time I read the story, the one thing that gets to me is that the self-worshipping man was only in that place of torment for a few seconds, and he became an evangelist. He became an evangelist, not just witnessing. He became an evangelist. Look at verses 27, 28, and 29. Send Lazarus back from the dead. Send him to my family. Send him to my five brothers. When they see him risen from the dead, they may believe and not come to this terrible painful, agonizing place. Please don't miss what I'm going to tell you. Don't miss what I'm going to tell you. The self-centered, self-worshipping man pleads with Abraham. Verse 30. If someone rises from the dead and go to my brothers, they will repent and want to come here. He's a classic response from Abraham, underline it in your Bible. I really can preach a whole sermon on that. <laughs> Maybe more than one. Verse 31. Let me give you a use of translation. You have your Bible with you. Check on me. If I say, I'm not going to do injustice to the text, but I'm going to give you a translation. If they do not listen and obey the Word of God, which they already have, they already know, even if someone rises from the dead, they're not going to believe. You know, we have preachers running around saying, oh, you know what, ditch the Old Testament. Now, you don't like the story of Jonah, just get rid of it. You don't like the story of Noah and the flood, get rid of it, because only focus on the resurrection of Jesus. If they're not going to believe the, resurre- the, the, the Old Testament, they're not going to believe the resurrection of Jesus. It's all supernatural. It's all God. If they refuse to believe the Bible, if they refuse to believe the witnessing of their family and their friends, if they refuse to accept the invitation issued to them by preachers all over the place with radio, television, every corner of this nation, even if Lazarus rises from the dead, they will not believe. 
this man knew that the decision you make here and now in this life will impact your eternity. Of course, with his state of heightened perception and understanding, he becomes aware of the fact that relationship with God through Jesus Christ is everything. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. You can have everything in the world, but you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus said, what can profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? We saw in the last message the necessity of scrutinizing every investment we make in life. Why? Because it impacts eternity. Here he's saying that your relationship with God through Jesus in this life will determine your eternity. I'm getting ready to close, so please listen carefully. We want to prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table because that table is a great reminder of our redemption. The blood that was shed on Calvary, the body that was torn on the cross, is the only way is going to get us to heaven. And so as we prepare our hearts, I, I, I just need to remind you again of the context of Jesus telling of this incident. As I said, and I said I'll come back to it, I'm coming back to it now. Hades was a reference in the Old Testament to the place where all the dead go, but it was made up of two regions because that was before heaven and hell were permanently separated. After the death and the resurrection of Jesus, I already told you, he went to Hades, to the place where the Old Testament saints were waiting, declared his own power and the power of his resurrection, vindicated their faith, and he took them straight to paradise and opened the door of paradise. And from that time on, after the resurrection of Jesus, the separation between those two places have become irrevocable in every way. While they could communicate in the old Hades from both regions, now no communication, no communication. And every New Testament believer that we said goodbye to in this life are in paradise with Jesus right now. This pain and suffering in that region of Hades, listen to me, is a plaything in comparison to the final judgment of hell. After Jesus' resurrection, the chasm between heaven and hell became impossible to cross. The communication the two places used to have impossible. I said in the last message, if you're planning a journey, if you're going on vacation, if you're planning a retirement, whatever it is that you're planning in the future, you, 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 you at least find out where you're going. Study where you're going. 
Some people now read reviews of where they're going, see what people said about it. And we have Jesus' word. That's the only review you really need. That's the review you need. So, my beloved friends, how much more should we be concerned about where we're going to be spending our forever and ever and ever and ever? But there may be someone here today or even watching us around the world. We've got, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of people watching on Kingdom Set. They're watching us all over the world right now, 190 countries live. There may be somebody watching and in their heart say, you know, I made a decision some time ago. I, I made a commitment some time ago, but I'm really not sure. Maybe someone here who said, you know, if you die today, will you be in the presence of Jesus in that glorified body? And if your answer is, I hope so, then you need to come and pray with our pastors. They're going to be, all the pastors will be lined up on the sides here during communion, on this side, and please come pray with somebody. Make sure you take care of that. If you have the slightest doubt, make sure you don't leave this place without taking care of it. Can I get an amen? amen. Father God, Father God, I don't know even how to say thank you. For looking down from heaven. And you found a miserable sinner, rebellious sinner, and you turned his heart toward you. And then you looked for the most unlikely person on the face of the earth. And you said, you preach my gospel. There are no ways. I'm so thankful that I got all of eternity to thank you. And I know that hundreds of my brothers and sisters here Thousands watching would say amen to that. And Father, as we come to your table, the table of the Lord Jesus, remind us again that if it wasn't for that shed blood, if it wasn't for that body torn on the cross, perfect, sinless, holy body that took my sin on that cross, we wouldn't even be here today. Open our eyes. Remind us daily to lift our eyes toward you. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.